I don't know where I get a lot of main ideas from. They seem to pay off, though. Like the uh, the coffin lid that I did recently, the full-size operation game. A mate at work said he had a coffin lid. I'm thinking, well, that's weird. I think about I could definitely do something with that. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, 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 and the worst one is it's actually been in the ground. It's one that's been dug up, which is a little bit weird. Yeah, but, but I, don't, I, I don't mind that, so that's fine. <laughs> Some poor buggers in the ground's missing a lid, Yeah, eh? definitely. Yeah, somebody's, fr- somebody's, fr- somebody's front room's got a weird coffee table in it now, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Andrew Sutcliffe. I live in a local town in Tomada, which is in West Yorkshire. Engineer by trade of 30 years, electrically. And recently, I think the spare time has been more enjoyable spent by making sculptures and dragging things out of the scrap bin, the local garages, and making something that was discarded and worth nothing, worth and appreciated by somebody putting the mantelpiece or the table, or a table, or anything else that I make. So lamp sculpturing is what I really like doing. It's all from recycled, upcycled materials. Welcome to the Proper Job Podcast. Yep. Uh, good to have you. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Anytime, no problems. Cheers, mate. Let's start right at the beginning. What were your passions when you were at school? What did you want to get into? Originally, when I went to do my A-levels, I wanted to be an architect, but then realising the amount of work and uni years on the back of that, I... Um, I wasn't just as sturdiest as what was maybe I needed to be. So then I wanted to be in it. I decided then to go towards more engineering. I always did model building and stuff as a kid, Lego as a youngster and such like. Lego a massive drive. But uh, yeah, I always wanted to build things, always very busy. Right, so did you go down the uni route? No, I did my A-levels for about eight months. Uh-huh. And then I dropped out of them and went to get an apprenticeship as an engineer. Where was that at then? Uh, Michelin Tyres. In 1990, started Michelin Tyres, an engineer apprentice, multi-skilled with a leaning towards electrical. I did that, the apprenticeship for four and a half years with Michelin, and then spent 13, 14 years with Michelin before they left the UK, because in 2002, they withdrew from the UK, did Michelin. So you've always had that kind of nine to five job behind you, have you? From about 18, 19, it's always been shifts, nights and weekends. So the nine to five would have been nice, Monday to Friday, but it's never been that. It's always been the shift worker, nights, earlies, back shifts, weekends, bank holidays. Boxing days, yeah, the all the shit, then, all, 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 the, all, the, all the horrible days, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And how do you cope with that then? How's that? How's that work with you? One of the advantages of like pushing yourself into the, in the into the more socially unacceptable hours is you work slightly shorter hours. Right. Obviously, there's always the money drive, the pay is always the back of unsociable hours and sociable working, but. Um, push comes to shove, sometimes you have to put yourself in uncomfortable places, don't you? So I've always enjoyed doing the shift work. I don't mind being at work at two, four o'clock in the morning and being asked extra things of at those strange times of the day. But um, it, it, it develops you, makes you a bit more rigorous, a bit more uh, able to respond to pressure, I suppose. But yeah, I've always liked shift working. Since I've been 18, I've been doing shifts for 30 years now. It's all I've ever worked now, days and weekends and stuff so yeah so what's it look like now what are you are you still doing the shift work i'm working now four on four off 12 hour shifts six till six i'm uh, on my last night shift tonight so it's friday for me get up i finish work at six o'clock in the morning so it's my four days off then and does that suit you yeah that i know a lot of people say you get like a lot of the uh Desk warriors, as we call them, you know, the uh, Monday to Friday people upstairs, they'll say like, oh, you'll work half the year. Yeah, but we work the worst parts of the year, the nights, the weekends, the bank holidays, you just trundle through the year. But you know where you're at. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you do 50 hours in four days, which isn't too bad. Some people, you know, there's always somebody working more than you, in the, you know what I mean? There's always somebody worse off, somebody working harder than more than what you are. But yeah, the pay's good. Uh, the job's interesting as it always has been with engineering. There's always an interest and something to learn, so that's always been really good. And it's hands-on work? Yes. Yeah, they'd like to say 50-50 desk job now have turned into like a semi-management role as a team leader, but as businesses have been stretched and they always want something for less or, you know, you never get it. The role never develops what it should be, so yeah, it's a very hands-on. Uh, last night was laid under a machine for six and a half hours fixing changing motors and wiring and such like on the electrical side and obviously you're running the rest of your teammates as well the other three on shift you always advising helping the younger engineers come through as much as what you can is that pressurized then there's a certain amount of pressure yeah end of every shift you have to put out an email that uh, goes through to the sl the senior leadership team that come in on days 
and the managers, if you will, the factory manager and the general manager. So I have to address that at the end of every shift and justify my team's time, what we've been doing, the breakdowns, the extent, the length of the time, why it took so long or why it went really well. So you try to give the best address to the other team as you can on the management side and balance it as much as what you can. So another team are coming on to pick up the other yes. 12 hours. It's a 24-hour yes. factory, is it? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you do an handover, you meet your, your opposite team leader, he comes in, you hand over jobs, things that have gone down, advice for anything that needs following up, parts you've used, parts that need ordering, contracts that you need, third-party contracts, you might need to drag in for some specialised machinery. So yeah, there's a certain amount of pressure there all the time, yeah. And added pressure because as a manager you're getting the shit from below you and from above. Yeah, that you do feel that. You're like lost line of uh, any kind of management. So like you seem to get it from both and... But yeah, you do get it from both sides, yeah. Every angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quite demanding sometimes, yeah. So you tell me about the other things that your family have been involved in. Farming, for instance. Yeah, I still have a farm. Me and my brother. There's just me and my brother left now. Um, we have a 200-acre a farm. In uh, on the board between Lancashire and Yorkshire, half of it sits in Lancashire, half of it's in Yorkshire. We now rent that out to my cousin, he runs his stock on it. So, yeah, we have a farm. I've always been into farms since like being very little. When you grow up, brought up and grew up on a farm, you become very aware that it's a 24 7, 365. You're married to the job, and it wasn't something that I was overly inclined to take up. But looking back now, yeah, I'd have taken it up because. You realise that any job requires a certain amount of uh, sacrifice at all fronts, really. Yeah, the farming would have been a nice route. There's a programme on at the moment which I'm loving is Farmer's Life. I don't know if you've caught any of it. I always get drawn towards watching them and seeing how they represent it on a television facing front, shall I say. And yeah, there's quite a bit of reality with what they bring through. Um, it is a charmed life if you make it work, it really is. Uh, but you've got to. It's like dealing with animals. People have pets and they have dogs and they have cats and such like. But yeah, when it's a sheep or a cow, you very much do treat them the same. So you are tied to it emotionally that way as well on the farming front. Which I, that was always really, really nice. Lambing time, uh, when cows were calving, bottle feeding lambs with milk. That sort of, that was a, it's a lovely soft part of farming itself. There's also the brutal side, which is why you're only breeding them for one reason. Yeah, to eat. Yeah, meat, meat produced, beef, lamb, because we were a beef farm and uh, obviously the lamb, the sheep. Yeah, there's also that aspect of it as well. It's like, it brings you, it makes you realise, uh, they're not, not, not the brutal side of farming, but the realistic side of farming, which is you're just doing it for food produce, that's all you're doing it for. Yeah, what else did your family do then? My family was also run a demolition business in the background. So as a small child, we'd, we'd be pulling mills down and taking houses down and pricing up on that front and selling rubble and pricing up for jobs. But as a kid, I was dragged around the sites, around big mills, around the north, and see my dad price up. And I was coming back with armfuls of like rubbish out of offices and office chairs and because, oh, that's nice, and just take it home. So that kind of uh, scene... A value in something that somebody else had thrown away was always inbuilt, if you will. So you're always attached onto that. You said there's a value in everything. What about then following in your father's footsteps with the demolition then? That would have been a nice avenue. It really would. But as a family-run business with four brothers and seeing the arguments and the fallings out that happened there, it wasn't something that dragged you in immediately. I'm messing with explosives at the same time. Oh, yeah, I used to stand there as a, a child at like seven or eight year old in the office listening to all four brothers shouting and arguing and falling out and thinking, yeah, uh, this is nowhere I really want to be. It's interesting, it's quite exciting, explosive, as you said, but um, there's better ways to make a living, I thought. Are you the only brother that didn't follow into the family business then? No, I have a younger brother, uh, my brother Robert. He went into... Literally engineering, now he's an IT manager and he's a second in command down at Calder High School where we live. He runs the high school, there's my younger brother, he's about three years younger than me. He was the same with the farming, loved it as a child, realised the amount of work, you're married to the job, you never leave it behind. So when you're married to something, there's, there's, so he kind of stepped away from the farm as well, did I, with Robert? Yeah, we both decided other avenues were easier to follow. Uh, have you bought a new house recently? Because I've seen you, um, 
I've seen you doing the kitchen job, or is it just an ongoing project? Ongoing project. It seems to be I finish a house and then I sell it. And then, <laughs> and then you start again. But uh, this, this, this recent project to finish it, I've been here about 14 years now. Um, when this one goes, I'm moving back onto the farm, onto the farmhouse where my uh, daddy's brothers were born. It's a little island in the middle of our 200 acres, and I'm going to move back there onto the farm and justify keeping all the land. Hopefully, we're going to start pods, glamping, mountain biking, and retire from the nine to five, fingers crossed. Right, okay, now we're talking. So the, that, there's a, a little bit of a glimpse of into the future where... It's funny how things go into a, a cycle, isn't it? Like, you, you know, you, you, yeah. you've seen that place come up and you, you want to move back there. Yes. So what is it about a job where you're working for someone else? Mm-hmm. Do you have a need to want to escape that? Yes. Or are you fulfilled? In the, in the last four, five years, it starts to make you think that if you're doing it all for yourself, it would mean so much more. Whereas everybody works for somebody to an extent. But to be able to escape out of that loop completely and become self-employed, all for yourself, all for your own family, and be your complete own boss, it'd be very much more fulfilling, shall we say. Maybe it takes you a number of years to get to the point where you're able to do that release and change your direction. But it's slowly, I hope, coming to a fruition, I must admit, yeah, definitely. Has anything recently added to that? Is like, for instance, COVID giving you a fresh perspective or has has anything happened in the job? I was quite happy where I was. Uh, I tried the slight step towards management, time served, I've been there 30 years as an engineer, I've been 20 years with the president employer Warburton's and I used to enjoy the... No, there's 12-hour shift, walk out the gates, you leave the job behind, you don't have to think about it. I've done the slight step towards management and the way that you're tied to the business more, you're never really away from it. It's kind of made me think, well, do you know, this possibly isn't the direction to be going. Then the other side of me, other stuff that I started to do was a hobby about four or five years ago started as well. I'm thinking, well, there, there is an avenue here. You can be self-driven, you can be all for yourself and get more fulfilment out of it really rather than answering to a boss who's continually on your back who's wanting more and more and his drives are possibly not the ideal because when you have so many time served years in anywhere you do get a feeling for a place and you are you do care about the place and the people but you do get the feeling that a lot of management are in it for different reasons driven by different things and possibly not as honest in what they're asking of you sometimes so it's like I'm all for much honesty 100% I'll follow you all the way if I get the feeling that you really want that direction but when I get the feeling that you're doing it for your own best ends and you're standing on my shoulders for another reason then I lose interest and it's like I'm almost 50 year old I'm 48 now so it's like things change your perspective slightly and the Covid thing has changed things a little bit somewhat as well you do get to the point that yeah I'm very appreciative of the Realised that the position I've been is very fortunate. I must admit, I've been con- able to continue working. The COVID situation hasn't really interrupted my work at all because everybody eats bread. And when times are harder, they eat more bread. And, then, <laughs> and that's just how things are. So uh, I'm looking forward to a good Christmas bonus. But And that's a bit selfish too, because you think we're living okay and our business has gone really well. But there's so many other businesses that have faltered and gone by the wayside. You do feel for those people, you really do. Yeah, that, there has been a balance though, you know, as, as some have gone down, others have gone up. Yes. But then, know, then I, I really don't mind the uh, going down as such like air travel because less pollution. I mean, why do you need to go thousands of miles on holiday? I mean, we, we live in a really beautiful country. Why do you need to go travelling to the other side of the world to enjoy your spare time? There's so many places in the UK and England that you could go and visit and appreciate where you live. And then cut down on the pollution, cut down on the travel, cut down on the the greenhouse gases and such like, if you will. Because there's so many people at the top of that tree profiting, which isn't... The gaps get bigger between the, the rich and the poor. It just gets bigger and bigger, that gap, doesn't it? Where's that passion come from? Where's where's that green kind of motive for you, Andy? <laughs> a bit of a tree hugger of a wife, actually. She's a, <laughs> she's a, she's a very green in her attitude that way. And it opens your eyes to other things. I do a lot of mountain biking. 
uh, enjoyed the, I've always enjoyed the outdoors with the farming. You've always enjoyed the green side of things. You start thinking, what's actually driving things? Why, why are these things speeding up? What we're speeding towards? Because ultimately, we're only speeding towards a box. You know, enjoy the journey. Don't speed through life. Slow down. Enjoy it. And that's much more. Yeah. Enjoy- and that's more enjoyable. It is. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the process because it's how all life in general speeded up. Why is it speeded up? It's only speeded up for the people at the top to get bit better and richer and profit from the people below. If we're all just growing us own veg, I do. I do quite a bit of veg growing in my garden now, which is something I'd never done before. So, if you're growing your vegetables and things at a nice slow pace, your days seem longer and more steady. Whereas if you're being rushed, 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 you're only rushing towards what you're saying. You're ultimately rushing towards the box and uh, going in the ground, aren't you? Like spread your life out, enjoy it a bit more. Because when we were messaging each other, you did talk about the recycling mm. and waste. And you've obviously had that kind of seed in you before you kind of, I suppose, met your wife. Yes. And and that sounds like it got brought out of you even more. Uh, the time that you have spare to do things like that and the realise... I've watched, always watched the scrap bin at work and the amount of stuff. These parts that cost hundreds of thousands, thousands of pounds, they got one beyond maybe a couple of thousand intolerances above they go at bin they go to escape they go to a scrap man and they might sit in a scrap yard for tens of years as a stockpile of rock that's how it works nothing goes straight to smelt down into a new product and away it goes it sits in somebody's scrap yard for 10-20 years till the value of scrap goes up and then they flog it on so they're on the make of that too but if you can grab that waste before it got to that point and make like a lamp or a music system, or some sculpture, or something like that, before it got there, I'm thinking, well, you're dragging out a real worth. Like, my dad used to sell scrap at so much a ton. Well, looking up at him now, and we're like saying, well, my scrap's worth quite a bit more a ton than what your scrap were worth. Yeah, I, know, I know it's about self-profit for me as well, but it's like saving that landfill, if you will, the worst. Yeah, it's reclaiming it and, and having an object that someone can look at and, and get joy from. Yes. I don't just do sculpture. I like to do things like the lamps or a music system that has not just something to look at that's nice, but has another purpose as well, because I'm a quite a practical person, so it's got to have another use as well. Yes, it looks pretty and looks nice, but yeah, look, it plays music. It's a lamp. You can put your coats on it. It's a table. It's a chair. It's, it's like um, a second, a third, a fourth use. You're dragging, you're dragging its worth out, aren't you? That's where I say, that's where I do a lot of the things from. Let's go back a few years then and, and talk about where this idea of the sculptures and, and making things from what other people were throwing out, where did that idea come from? I saw a few sculptures go up in my old town. Like we live in Tommerden, which has a massive monument on the hill called Studley Pike, which is like a, it's the Battle of Waterloo, I think is a memorial thing, but it's about... 250 foot tall, it's a big piece of stone, it sits on the hill, it's very prominent in the town. And then people start doing little models of it, and steel models within the town, you see them propped up in different places, thinking, oh, they're taking lumps of scrap and making something else out. I'm thinking, well, I've the skills I've got as an engineer, welding, machining, or mechanical, I could do something like that. And then somebody, I needed a garden burner for garden. So I got a gas bottle and cut it up. And thinking, well, I could have paid £820 from B&Q for a burner for my garden, but I've just got a discarded gas ball that were chucked away on my land that somebody had dumped some fly tip in, brought it home, cut it in bits, put a door on it, chimney on it, and it's gone from being a piece of scrap metal that was stuck on my land that somebody had dumped and discarded to being something that I can actually sit in front of and make use of again. So this was 2015, right? Yeah, 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 about four or five, yeah, would have been. About four or five years ago, I started doing things like that, yeah. So that was the first, first thing. So that was just... Was that any of the sculptures that are developed today? Or was that just a plain burner at that point? That was just a very practical use of something that I needed for my garden. And then somebody saw it on one of my feeds, because obviously everybody's Facebook, everybody's Instagram. I'm very much... Uh, I'm not so much Facebook. It's a bit more personal. I go towards Instagram, which is just pictures and very visual. And I put it on there. And one of my friends said, oh, can you make me one? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll make you one. And then somebody else said, can you make me one? So I'm thinking, well, I'm spending a bit of my own spare time now doing this. I'll do a few more. So I might have done 100, 
Wow. Darth, Darth Vader's or R2-D2's and different burners initially. And then it went into, oh, could you do me a lamp? But go back a step. So you've gone from the plain gas bottle and now you've got Darth Vader coming in. Like where, where, Yeah. how did that build? Well, it's like you could just put a door in something. But they say with the Lego model building, I always used it at junior school. I always used to win the red rosette at local country fair for me models at school. That's just how it was. So um, you realised you can combine one talent with another. So, yeah, I'll do something a bit different. So you started cutting faces and making characters and minions and that the Star Wars ends too, because everybody's loved Star Wars. And it, I, I, like I said to my children now, they're both doing A-level art. Uh, in the air levels at college. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, they both do. They've both gone into art. Eh? They both doing fine art. My twins, her twin daughter, at seventeen. So they and my, my other daughter, twenty two, she did art as well. But my daughter, <laughs> my, my, wow. my daughter, yeah, I don't know if it was an influence or what, but they've always been very good at it, and particularly quite gifted with. I could never paint, I could never draw two D. Me horses end up looking like silly shit dogs and stuff like that. I was never very good at that kind of thing. But uh, 3D sculpture, give it some depth and presence. Yeah, I can do that. Like, uh, I love building. Like, uh, I have a cement mixer. And you get some stone, you get some sand, you get some cement, and you can create something very useful that people charge a fortune to come and do when you're on house. So that picked up. So the 3D aspect and model building, yeah, I've always been quite good at that show us so. and as a dad <coughs> what kind of career advice did you give to your kids because growing up in the world nowadays I do feel a lot of kids and, and this is kind of aimed at those kind of well I don't to be honest I don't know who the podcast is aimed at at the moment no, 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 it's, no. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of I've got you know I've interviewed poker players um, you know people who make masks from uh, trainers uh, oh, yeah, woodworkers, yeah. potters. There's a there's a wide range of things, um, but as a dad, what career advice did you give to your children? Do something you enjoy. So there's never a pressure of anything other than no. Just do what you love. No, if you've got a natural ability at something that you enjoy doing, that you can draw something from and you can see some kind of career out of it, then lean towards that. Because ultimately, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. I mean, like I said, it's back down to the race thing, speeding through life. It's not all about that. You've got to make an enjoyable journey, haven't you? And if you're doing... Like, even Poppy, one of my twins, said, find a job you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. Mm. Mm. And it's true, it really, it really is true, is that? And that was her at, like, 14, 15-year-old, and thinking, well, it's quite a profound, Poppy. That's... <laughs> I wish, I wish I wish my dad had said something like that to me. Right. So on that note, what what was your dad telling you? Get a career. Get a job. Do something keep, that pays. Keep your head down, son. Keep your head, keep your head down. Yeah. So they're yeah. quite disappointed when I fell out when I dropped out of my A levels after eight months. I said right, time for a job now. So that's when I went for my apprenticeship. And because of my leanings and my ability with my dexterity and now what I'd always done on the farm, engineering. There's always money in engineering. I wish there were. I wish I'd have loved my daughters to go towards engineering because there's not enough females in Very true. that area. The, the, the female mind and how they approach things and how they get solutions to things is always just a little bit different towards men. It is. There's a little more, bit more thought there. They're not as rash. They're not as harsh. They consider a little bit more. I was going to say, empathy's one of their strong points. Definitely, yeah. So it's just a shame there isn't as many of them within engineering. But there's getting more. We have a female apprentice at work, and she, Anna, she's, she's quite good, I must admit, but not as he- heavily influenced by peers and stuff if, as what they should be. Moving away from that, um, that kind of, that's kind of career advice to, to the younger generation, you said about sculpting, and you see things in like a 3D mm. or, or, or with depth. Because I've looked, I've looked for your Instagram, and the proportions of things are very accurate. You know, you say about your horse looking like a dog, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but when you make a sculpture, it's bang on. You you know straight away that that is representing that. Was yeah. there a 
roadmap to that that you were quite successful from the get-go or were there failures? There might have been two failures. Yeah, everything... Um, I've got maybe in this room now, I've got, maybe, I've got four or five items in this room that I've managed to stick hold of, but everything else has gone to somebody else's house. Every, everything on my Instagram has just gone. It's been snapped up, it's, somebody's wanted it, somebody's either commissioned it and such like. Because I, I don't like you said, you probably see the fact that it does, it, you can, I like the, it's almost like reverse Tetris jigsaw, if you will. You can see the bits that have actually been used. I don't disguise everything. You can pull out the nuts, the bolts, the spark plugs, the horseshoes, the different implements that have been used within the sculpture. You could take it in bits, but it takes a while. Some people have bought Land Rovers that I've built in the past, and it's taken them months to spot all the little bits that I've used. And it's nice layering up things and leaving it as like a little bit of an investigative curiosity on the people that take them on. How do you do that then, Andy? How, how do you layer it up? Are you coming over... So you've got your workbench, right? In, in, yeah, yeah. I presume you've got a, a shed or, or some kind of like... Convert a single garage, yeah, that I've boarded out, yeah. yeah. So you've got your garage and you, you've got your, your, your work table. Are you bringing pieces over and sort of placing it next to it and seeing if it works? Or is it in your head, you like, you see something and boom, you know that's going to work? I'll see a single item. I'll see a single piece of machine. I'll go, ah, oh, that looks like such and such. Or it has an inkling towards being this. Or it looks like part of a something. And then you'll include that within what you come towards. But then you just, it's like, it's like Lego. Uh, but the pieces are any shape that you want them to be. Because you can cut them, you can weld them, you can grind them, you can heat them up, you can bend them. So ultimately, you're taking somebody's worth and work from the machine that you've taken in bits but making it live through in a different way. Hindsight a little bit, is it? But because you work in that kind of factory with these machines, you're seeing them, how they make things, do you think that has helped you in any kind of way? Or is it that you kind of just... Because I've, I've seen your work process. Yeah, I, don't, I know you don't show it much, but I've seen it where you've, had, you've got like reference pictures all up. You know, yes. of something yeah, you're yeah. Trying, to, trying to get at. Very... Re- I've done that with the, the, I think it was called Hippocampus Mechanicus, the big uh, seahorse that I did. Certain times, there's a flea market in our local town. So I'll go around the flea market and it's like all discarded items on a Thursday. Every Thursday. Well, they used to before COVID hit, which is a little bit disappointing. But you'll go around and you'll see headlamps, indicator lamps, uh, little bits of old furniture. And you'll see them thinking, that's got some history with it that's probably 100 years old, that deserves to be seen and seen and seen and seen again. So then you'll take that back and try and include it in something else. And sometimes I will draw out, I will sketch. It's like practice makes perfect to an extent. Once you've done one Land Rover build or one seahorse or one whatever, you know the process, you're aware of the perspective, you're aware of the dimensions and the actual scale. So you can kind of stick almost like a mini roadmap things become easy with practice. It's always nice doing a new build. When somebody says, can you build me, I don't know, uh, a tank with a lamp in it, or can you build me a Spitfire with a lamps in for its propellers and stuff like that? Because they have family who'd been in the forces. I do quite a few of them sort of things, which are nice to do. Um, there's little bits of journeys that complete, like old um, travelling boxes from, there was an, I've got an old metal trunk from a shop in Ebden Bridge, from an antique shop. And it had the name and address from the place in Ebden Bridge. It was his RAF flame box with all his kitting. And it had a bit of a name on it. So I bought it and I put a record player in it. I put wheels on it. I lacquered it up and put all the amps and the speakers within it. And then I took it back to the shop in Ebden Bridge. And the granddaughter of the person whose box it was bought it back. So the journey completed. Which, which was really quite nice, one. that was one of the better ones. But there's certain things like that complete as well, which is good. It sounds a little bit, you don't like making the same thing again, again and again. No, I, I, do, I do drop on repetition, especially with the garden burners. Like Star, everybody loves Star Wars, so you can only mix it up so many different ways, can't you? So I do tend to, plus the neighbours don't like the noise, because it's quite a lot of grinding. Right. So you stop, I, I, I've tried to reduce some in model things, like I did make a, a 10-foot alien some years ago 
Oh, and it was pneumatic driven. Its head moved and the tail moved and the arms moved on pneumatics. But they're quite a lot of time investment. There's got, it's going to be like a practical payoff. I don't mind investing time, but there's going to be some payback as well. I know I supply uh, a couple of galleries locally. And you've got to make things transportable, movable. That practicality comes into it as well. Tell me, Andy, why, why have you not made that move? Why, why are you not doing it full time? What, what, are the, what are the barriers to that? Um, only recently have I started putting stuff in my own local town. Because there's always that thing, is it going to work? Um, is it just a flow? What do you mean? Because um, there's got, like, I've still got, like, f- I've got four kids. My eldest is 30, so he ain't really a kid anymore, I tell Jonathan. And my youngest is 17. So there's always, always got dependence, haven't you? But now my children are like, my youngest is 17 now. The dependence is getting less and less. The need for a Monday, to, uh, the daily or the weekly wage to drop is getting possibly less and less so once you get pull yourself away from that rigmarole and that drag it allows you to maybe expand in other ways which is spend a little bit more time doing your sculptures spend a little bit more time doing your builds and put your time into that sort of thing so which it which is slowly coming through i must admit so obviously family comes first eh? oh yeah yeah Family's very important, I must admit. Uh, my daughters, my son and such like. Yeah, the, uh, everything's for them. It's like they say, you have a journey and uh, everything's about memories, but when you have children, you have to make them good memories for them, don't you? And it's all, it is all about children, I must admit. Yeah. So that, that's the barrier. That's a good enough That's a good enough one. You've got to come into the lifestyle practicalities, haven't you? You've got to still pay the bills, haven't you, at the end of the day, you have. Yeah. You said, you mentioned that about galleries... Um, obviously that's quite a, that's quite a, you know, must have been a nice opportunity, a, a nice kind mm. of like confidence boost. Are you, cause I, I can tell by the way you talk, Andy, you don't like to sit still for very long. It seems like you're always on the go. You've always got a project going. Yes. Are, are you a man of the making of these kind of opportunities? Do you make these opportunities happen? Or for instance, these galleries, did they spot you on Instagram and things develop from there? Uh, the first one, the tattoo gallery in Hebden Bridge, was he was like a friend and associate. He was a tattooist in Manchester. He bought one of my lamps. He said, would you mind doing a few more for the shop? I thought, definitely, that's fine. It's another window. Hebden Bridge is a very um, touristy kind of place, Hebden Bridge. Um, very, lots of tourism is Hebden Bridge, I must admit. It's always busy, it's always packed. So like window opportunity, yeah, I can do that. So I existed there for about three years. Uh, then there was a gallery in Burnley. Uh, another tattooist. I tried to find uh, the tattooist as a good avenue because I saw that as well. Tattooist, what do they put in the window? They have to have a shot. They have to have a shot from. But what do they put in the windows? So I thought, well, it's almost like window display. You do something interesting that people walk past to see. They're interested. Well, that's a bit different. And I've said to my twins, I said before, if it catches your eye, it'll catch somebody else's eye. You might not catch everybody's eye, but it'll definitely catch enough of a percentage of people's imagination. If you do something that's catching yours, it'll catch theirs. And that's when I just went to the premise of that. So we're doing aliens, predators, models and sculptures and such like. Different things. And that, that went really, really well. You could tell by the pickup and Steve would ring up and go, well, it's sold. Oh, right, okay. It says, I've got a gap again. Could you make somewhere else? So the game had dragged that way. And the game had dragged towards Burma. And now I've supply another gallery in Tobedon where I live, my own local town, which is always something I kept away from. Because it's like, I don't mind doing it just out from where I live. But to actually, is it a fluke? Is it a one-off? Is it just because of the, the actual location of these other places that it's working? But once you realise you can put stuff in your own town and the thing's still appreciated and taken on and bought by people, it's like, ah, yeah, yeah, it's it works. Yeah, there is something that's working. Is there a self-doubt issue, Andy? You know, you talk about doing things and making things and featuring them in places outside your area, but what about where you live? Is there yeah. a barrier? Is there a, is there a fear of being labelled? You know, people are coming up to you on the street. Hey, mate, are you that guy that made the alien? You, you're always aware of other people's opinion. You've always got to take it into some degree. 
I'm not saying it's uh, something that shapes me in any way, but you're aware of other people's opinions and such like. So you've always got to be thinking, you are selling for an audience. Yeah, I mean, I follow, like like anybody's studying art at uni, I suppose, you study a lot of other people's work and sculptures and meth work on Instagram. It's a mass or Pinterest. There's lots of places to drag ideas from. Pinterest, Instagram, massive influence of it. Like I'll spend... Why well, I spend, spend hours on my phone? Which is true, but it's almost like research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like having your head in a book. Yeah, yeah. I, like anybody who goes and does A-level art, I'm discovering with the twins and watching them go do their A-levels. Um, they, do, they study a lot of other people's artists and they'll copy their work and do different in drawings, almost like for like, of artists that they've already put pictures and sold millions of pictures and stuff out there. So it's like, well, it's not robbing ideas. It's just no. I've been very, I've been very good at replicating, if you will. Yeah, that's true. There's a great quote there of um, "good artists copy, great artists steal," and that is about that kind yeah. of building on the shoulders of giants of um, innovating, basically, with someone else's work. Yes. Yeah, 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 definitely. I do, I do copy to an extent, but you've got to give your own edge to it too make it valid so, so you, you you like right what's this wild idea I could do what's going to catch someone's eye aliens for instance then you troll in yeah. Instagram and uh, Pinterest to get kind of ideas and then through looking through all this work a picture forms in your head does it of like what you want to create yeah and then you look and you think right what machines have I pulled in bits this month what interesting bits have I got and then you bring the two together it's all like a collage if you will so in your workshop, are you known as being a bit of a hoarder, Andy? Don't even. Do don't even go there. The wife hurts me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't throw anything away. I don't throw anything away. No, it's hard work. Because you can make your workshop three times bigger. I'd still fill it up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not like that Polish guy that won't tell you with his house all stacked with newspapers. So I'm, not, I'm not quite that bad. But uh, yeah, I, I do keep all the stuff. It's like, they say it's like a running joke at work. I come into work on my first run of four and there'll be some stuff left on my bench that the, the other engineers have taken in bits and said, yeah, we've put some stuff over there for you. There's some stuff on your bench. You might want to look through the scrap bin because there's some nice, I'm thinking, yeah. And I, I do that automatically anyway. Every day I go to what scrap bin, I must have that. So that's your source, that in work, they're not that bothered about you having a good uh, rummage through the, through the cycle, no. recycle bin? No, I take off local uh, garages as well, like gearboxes and such like from cars and brake discs and bits of car engines. And I'm friends with like local community on that front. And I go in and say, touch base, I say, that stuff there do you re- no 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 or sp- spark plugs anything because they just spark plugs are just changed on the service interval regards they might not be worn out but on the service on a car they just change your spark plugs or they'll change your brake disc or they'll change another part of your car so if you can take them bits which are just going to go ba-bumph in the scrap landfill wherever they end up if you can grab it before that it's all like I almost we'll sort it like a, like a mini service if you will take your stuff and make it go somewhere else yeah, I like that. I like that. So, is is there a is there a a situation of organized chaos in the workshop, or does everything have a place? No, it's organized chaos. Right. Okay. Organized chaos. Yeah. If like I said, if I had a bigger workshop, yeah, I'd add boxes because I'm an engineer by trade. You've got to be organized. I mean, we work my workbench now at work, and then that mentality side of it very organized because you've got to be. There's a structure there, but uh, you're allowed to free reign a little bit more. And obviously there is a space restriction in the old workshop. So that's why it seems to uh, I seem to keep more than what I possibly should do. Definitely. Yeah. But metal metal doesn't go anywhere, does it? Stainless steel or pestle. It just stay, it just sits there looking shiny for years. So when I come across it something and I know it'll, everything has everything has another use. So if I keep holding it for long enough, I'll go, ah, that bit's coming. Ah, I can use them. So I don't throw anything away. Yeah, because when you do, you know what happens. You'd be like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. I hate watching that programme on telly, the, uh, the Money for Nothing programme, where they go to the, the skit. And oh, sometimes I have to switch it off. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm thinking, such a missed opportunity. Why have you done that with that? 
and it's like no yeah. turn it off I can't, I can't watch this anymore and then you look at how much, they, how much they're charging as well I'm thinking my god they, they, some people I'm not saying they're overestimating how much the, the trades are worth but I'm a big, uh, big believer in value for money as well a lot of the stuff I do people say you're very cheap very. I'm thinking well it's a little bit for everybody I've saved something from going to landfill i made a little bit for myself and he hasn't got to go to say London or travel miles somebody local can afford to buy it and appreciate it and think they've got a bargain well that's brilliant because they've, they feel like they've bought something they really appreciate at a very very small price if not what they deem as being very cheap I don't mind that I don't mind if you think I'm cheap brilliant that's fine you think you've got a bargain that's a nice feeling because everybody likes a bargain they do kind of your advice then of people when you're setting your prices how 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 do you come out how do you come up with your prices how what's the sort of formula in your head purely on time spent so time per hour that kind of, sorry cost yeah, per hour that's it I, it's a rough guide it's not something and something's uh i take far much more time than what i really should do and i don't really charge for it but um yeah I don't, I don't charge the same rate as I earn at work, but what I mean, if uh, it's got to be a reasonable, because I like mountain biking, I like walking, I like my spare time, I like to play Xbox, I like to do lots of other things with my spare time. So you know, you know it's dragging away from those things. I'd spend all day on my mountain bike if I could, but it's a, it's a balance again, isn't it? It really is. So if I'm giving up time that I could be out on the hills around here on my mountain bike... It's got to be worthwhile to some extent, and it's not a greedy. It's not a greedy pull at all. It really isn't, and it's not. It's not much above minimum wage that I charge for my time. So, it, but those skills and the skill set that I bring through, I've been learning for thirty years. So there's quite a bit of skill there that I bring through, and you do take it for granted. But I don't mind that. You know, it's not. Life's not about being greedy, is it? It's about uh, enjoying. If someone asks you what are these metal what are these metal things about, what what's your answer? What's your like elevator pitch as it were? Give something dual purpose. Make it something good to look at, but make it practical as well. Always make it appealing. If it's something that attracts you and makes you tick, then it'll make somebody else tick as well. Have a bit of self-belief that way. If it appeals to you, it'll appeal to somebody else. When you're digging around in that uh, scrap bin, Andy, what do you like to get your grubby little mitts on? Wiring, car stereos. I use a lot of old car stereos because they're brilliant little things. I know when I used to put my old car stereos in my first cars when I started to drive, they had very, very powerful amps inside. They're underestimated little lumps of the car stereo, the old car stereo with the cassettes and the CDs. And there's so much inside them. So you just grab that little bit that somebody's discarding and put it in a music player. But make it interesting, like I have one across there, that I saw it called at room, it's uh, the USS Enterprise, with the NCC 1701 number plate on the top, the round disc for the Star Trek one, and that's got an Alexa in it, it's got an old amp inside, it's got speakers built into it, but yeah, originally it used to be an exhaust off a motorbike, but you reform, you score, and it's a lamp as well, yeah, it's got a lamp in it. <laughs> you, you, you bring as many entities together as you can to make it interesting. People go, where do you get your ideas from? I'm thinking, well... Yeah, you're right. I don't know where I get a lot of my ideas from. They seem to pay off, though. Right. So, what what do you think the future holds? Like, where where are you heading with? The, is it is it the sculptures? Is it the farm? Is it mountain? You know, is it a mixture of everything? A mixture of everything. Uh, farm, justify the land, possible camping, mountain biking is a big drive, big passion. I love mountain biking, so I'd love to carry it through that way, um, and have a workshop, and carry the sculpture, and carry on bringing metals and wiring and lamps and music players and tables and fur. I do a lot of, quite a bit with wood as well, I must admit, I do quite a bit of woodwork as well. Right. I have a stack, I have a stack of maple dance floor boards from a New York dance floor that they're imported. And then they went into a school in a local town for 70 years and worked and were in their school gym on their floor. And then they got dragged off their floor my mate were throwing them out and said, I'll have them all off you. Yeah. And I keep, I make tables out of them. On the reverse, they've got a print with a cord in the factory in Salzburg, in the USA, where they're actually made originally. So there's so much history. I mean, they've been danced on in New York. They've done 70 years in a, in a local junior school. And now they're a table in your front room. I mean, what's not to love about that? That's got everything. Yeah, definitely. Objects that tell a story. 
Have you got any career advice to the people listening, Andy? No, it's just uh, whatever you do, make it enjoyable. Make it something that's interesting. Don't be driven by the actual pound note, which is very easy to do sometimes. But um, you've got to enjoy what you're doing. It's a, you're here for a long time. May as well make it a good time. May, yeah, exactly. You, you make them good memories. And when you get the children at the back, you make them good memories for them too. It, it really is what make it a, a good journey for everybody. It is. That's what I said to Watts kids. I said, do what you want to do. Enjoy what you want to do. But make it something. That's why I didn't mind when they said they both wanted to do art. I said, yeah, go for it. Yeah, enjoy. I wish, I wish I'd have had the opportunity to do things. But slowly now, at my age now, it's coming back round full circle, a point where I can relax a little bit more and do the things you enjoy doing. Apart from mountain biking, obviously, I can't do that as much because the wife doesn't like me going out on me on because she sulks. Because she likes the mountain bike too. <laughs> so I don't get to mountain bike on me days off on me on because I just get sulked at them. <laughs> you don't want that, do you? Happy I'm wife, so happy life. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, that's the key. Have you got any? Have you got any questions, Andy? What your audience that you're going towards with the podcast? Just out of curiosity. So it it's on Spotify, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on Apple iTunes Podcasts. Oh, and there's like six other podcast channels it all gets uploaded to. Uh, the aim is to kind of inspire the younger generation, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's to look at people who are perhaps in a nine to five job, they're not happy. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, given the recent times with COVID, there's also, you know, rising unemployment as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's the idea. So, we're growing at the moment. Um, I don't know if you saw the podcast, uh, there's the link in my oh, yeah. bio. But we're seven, this is the eighth, um, this is the eighth episode I'm doing today. Uh, I started in mid-October, um, and like I said, there's a range of careers, I've, I call it careers, that, you can call it careers. Um, yeah, because yeah, if you're doing it for a trade, it's a yeah, career. They're, yeah, they're making yeah. money from it. So like I said, uh, yesterday I spoke to a guy who... Uh, quits as a software engineer to become a drone pilot wow. and he won the, he's now the drone world champion um, and that's quite an incredible thing and he then went on to make a YouTube channel, yeah. he also went on to um, make his own um, a film company as well and then recently got hired to appear on like a Hollywood studio with top Hollywood actors. Um, again, I said about the poker player. Um, you know, that's always kind of like people give him a hard time, yeah, yeah. especially his family. Yeah, yeah. Of um, Because it's an addiction, but the, work is an addiction, I find. I think if you love what you're yeah. doing, I'm sure you'll, you might agree to this, but when you're in your workshop, and you focus on what you're doing, time just flies by. Time, time goes nowhere. You look at, you open the garage door and it's dark outside and wife's going, your tea's ready. I'm thinking, yeah, I know that, but I've just got to finish this bit here. It is, yeah, it is. If you, it's like anything you enjoy. If you enjoy it, there's some addictive properties there, isn't there? Yeah. And that's, yeah. All, that's all an addiction. It's something you enjoy. Some are a healthy addiction, some aren't. But who's that to say? You know, it's, that's from your own personal point of view, isn't it? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah you've just got to... It's hitting the right balance. I get lost in this. Like, it's gone dark here and I'm, I'm kind of like... <laughs> I'm sat here in the dark and it looks a bit weird, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking just then when I mentioned YouTube, is that anything that you've considered in your head? Um, I'd probably take the lead from the children. They're a little uh-huh. bit more savvy in that respect. They said, oh, we could do a TikTok and no, 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 and this sort of thing. You know, to influence like a build, it's different stages and put a video together. I'm thinking, yeah, and I've in the last few weeks, I did consider thinking, right, when I get a bit more time at home with children, when the kitchen's finished, I'll, uh, I'll talk to children about something more visual because I've seen that's how popularity grows in like big spikes, the TikTok, the YouTube channel and stuff. And I'd have to be, just they're a little bit more younger and youthful, a bit more tied into that kind of things than what I am. I like yeah. I know some of my videos on the Instagram, they've like over a hundred thousand views and such like. And they're quite decent numbers. And like I used to time it at half seven, you put out a picture of like a new build and you'd see it rocket and the numbers would 
filter up and up and up as the different time zones went through around the world. You could see them pick up, oh, another 7,000 views there because it's gone through America. Oh, it's hitting Australia now and all your Australian viewers had come in. So that you, you, are you motivated by that kind of performance you're seeing on social media? Does that give you a bit of a kick? Yeah, it's like, like say, putting stuff in a local gallery and seeing it behind pictures and then bump into people up and down the streets and people go, oh, I've, seen you, I've seen you work in that shop, it's really, really good. And yeah, it's always nice to be appreciated. And I can't lie about that. And to see if it do well on a social media platform such as YouTube or TikTok, That'd be quite good. And it's just an avenue that I have thought about, I must admit. It wouldn't possibly generate initial sales, but it might give a bigger platform, and then it's like anything else. And as I found out with the popularity, the number of views and the thousands of views that certain things get. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, got, the dream is, yeah, of course, it would if I could do going to sculpturing, as a lot of other artists do, and get <laughs> silly money for things. Then you could give up the nine-to-five. You could give up your job. And like I said, the drone pilot, how he went towards doing that, it just opened your life up to other things. It makes it thought that I'd be able to spend less time in the workshop with things worth a bit more, less time at work, and more time with my family. You know what I mean? It, and that's ultimately what it's all about. It's not about making noodles and noodles of money. It's about the balance again. And the important thing is the kids, the family, their quality of life, and ultimately what you can leave for them. Because I'm 48 now, I'm getting towards 50. I've got, I've got another 20, 25, 30 years. Oh, you've got a few innings left, <laughs> mate. Yeah, but, but, but it's, you, you're always looking towards that extent of, of where you're running to, don't you? You know what I mean? Yeah. If you, can, yeah. If, if you can leave as much behind for what they can, it'll make their lives a little bit more gentle, a little bit more enjoyable, a little more easier. Because, yeah, I've, I've always, since the 70s, I've always worked, worked shifts, I've worked hard, and it's nice to think that you could maybe make that pay off even more for them. Thank you very much for your time, Andy. Cheers uh, for uh, inviting me in. No and, uh, worries, Andy. It's been great talking to you. I've learnt a lot. Excellent. Well, that, that makes a change. <laughs> <laughs> Wife just says a waffle, but yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Brilliant. No. Thank you very much for listening to the end of the show. It's lovely to have you with me. If you've got any feedback or you can help me in any kind of way, let me know what went well, what needs improvement. I know my sound needs improvement, but I'm working with the equipment I have, which is I record directly onto my mobile phone. The guest does the same. I then edit it on a piece of software called LumaFusion, which is on my iPad. Um, hopefully, I can start investing in equipment at one stage of this podcast when it starts gaining a bit more traction. At the moment, I can't, so I'm just working with what I have. Anyway, I would really love to hear from you. So please send an email to sid at mail.uk. Cheers.